Welcome to What the Fab, a fans first sports network fantasy baseball podcast where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. Today, we are checking in on the state of fantasy baseball two weeks before the trade deadline with an eye towards team context that might change with Joe Sheehan. You know Joe from pretty much everywhere that you can get baseball news, Baseball Prospectus, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, The Athletic, and Baseball America, plus his incredible newsletter that I consider a must-read every single day. Thank you for joining me, and welcome to What the Fab, Joe. Uh, Happy to be on, Sarah. I'm a big fan of of the show, and I'm glad to be on for the first time. Uh, thank you so much. I am thrilled to have you here. Less thrilled that Jamer Candelario just hit a home run against my Chicago Cubs in his return to Wrigley Field. But honestly, like the Cubs sort of deserve that. So that's just, that's okay. Uh, I am stoked to get into a little bit of what's going on with the upcoming trade deadline. It's about two weeks away. And I think there are a lot of ways that the trade deadline in particular can be leveraged by fantasy owners because you never know what's going to happen in terms of how a player might blossom in a new environment or what could go on. Uh, What about you? What do you think about the trade deadline? Yeah, it's an opportunity to make variance your friend because talking about only two months of play after the deadline and you're looking for places where a player's role is going to change dramatically. He'll have an opportunity, particularly in situations where bad teams are dumping guys off their roster. I think about, you remember Frank Schwindel in 2021 uh, coming up after the Rizzo trade and playing really well. I think about Joey Manessis last year in D.C., uh, playing really well after they traded basically everybody and trying to find those bad team options and saying, hey, look, because remember, if you're in fourth place in a league, in most cases, the difference between finishing seventh and finishing fourth doesn't mean all that much to you. But finishing fourth or finishing first is everything. So you really want to try to catch that variance. I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, uh, I've got a new column at Baseball HQ. I'm doing their playing time tomorrow column for the NL East. And the guy that I've got my eye on, who is not in the rundown today, but I'll just throw it out there for any listeners of the show, is Blake Rutherford, who was a first round pick for the New York Yankees. The White Sox let him go. He got picked up by the Nationals. He's sitting in the Nationals AAA system right now. He's gone from AA to AAA this year. I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but the last time I looked, he was hitting like 350. His WRC plus in AAA is like 168. His WRC plus in AA was like 158. The Nationals are going to move on from some of these guys, and Blake Rutherford looks like a dude who could just step right into an everyday playing role on a last place team. Yeah, you have to figure Lane Thomas is going to be one of the more attractive options at the deadline. that He gets moved, and Rutherford can slide right in. It's funny because one of the guys I was looking at is another national. Um, you were angry about Heimer Candelario. Now they're likely to trade him in the next couple of weeks. And they've got an infielder named Jake Alou down in the minors. He's been up a couple of times this year. But in four months at uh, AAA this year, he's got 15 steals. So you, know, you talk about a category that's usually jammed up. If Candelario goes, Alou could come up, get those 50 games of playing time, and maybe steal eight to 10 bags for you down the stretch. So yeah, the Nationals, I think, are going to be one of these key teams where we expect them to make trades somebody's got to play. Playing time is, is the key, especially in these deeper leagues. Could not agree with you more. Let's talk about some of the news around the league, and we'll get back to the trade deadline and some of these playing contexts in a second. But, um, you know, always got to hit the injuries here first. So for the Diamondbacks, Merrill Kelly has a calf injury. I cannot figure out how the Diamondbacks are doing their starting rotation at all. They they have four starters right now. If you look at roster resource over on Fangrass, but one of those starters is Zach Davies. So I don't really know that I count that as a full fourth starter. Any interest uh, in Tyler Gilbert for a spot start, or are we just holding our breath with the Diamondbacks? 
you know, Gilbert is somebody who's struck, who's actually thrown a no hitter in 7% of his career start. So obviously there's an upside, but when you look at the potential start this weekend, it's at Cincinnati. Now it's been a low run scoring environment since the all-star break, but that's the, one of the best hitters parks in baseball. It's one of the most exciting offenses in baseball. I don't want that matchup at all. The one the following week would probably be against the giants, a lefty against the giants. That's not such a bad bet either, but by and large, I don't think I want any piece of Gilbert. Yeah, and hopefully Merrill Kelly is back by then. Another uh, injury-ridden rotation, although nobody's crying for the Atlanta Braves. They're doing just fine despite the injuries to their starting rotation. Uh, Colby Allard and Mike Soroka get one more time through the rotation while Freed is doing a rehab start, and Kyle Wright is working his way back as well, but he's probably a month or so away. Any interest in Allard or Soroka? I have to say that I have a lot of interest in Allard here, and I actually would keep Allard in the rotation even when Freed comes back, I would send Soroka back first, but I understand the Braves might not do that. What do you think? Well, Soroka's got the the longer track record with the organization, right? I mean, he was very good for them before the injuries, before the pandemic. That's how far how far back that was. I think on raw talent, Allard interests me a little bit more. Um, I was a fan of the trade when the Rangers picked him up. I thought he would have an opportunity down there that never came out. Looking at his numbers, he's got a lower FIP than his ERA, but when you kind of look at the stack cast stuff and you look at the stuff on contact, um, he's actually been getting knocked around. Both these pitchers have been getting their brains beat in. So, you know, you want to be able to say, hey, a Braves fourth starter, five innings, three runs, I can steal a win here. The problem is with both these guys, three innings and five runs is more likely. So I really don't want either one of them. I don't want either one of them, but the waiver wire is very it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I the waiver wire and I with starting pitching has been a struggle this season. And I, I think part of that is the way it's going to come up in our next team too. It's the way that players are being used. It's not like they're just calling up a new guy to start and that guy's going to get five or six innings. Next thing we're going to talk about is the Red Sox. They've got an injury to Garrett Whitlock at the moment. And that's another team where they've got like three starters listed. It looks like Chris Murphy is going to get a bulk relief appearance against the A's. That's probably a nice shot to vulture a win if you would like, but that doesn't mean Chris Murphy's a starter. This is definitely someone you're streaming for one like bulk relief appearance. Yeah, we think about 30 teams, five spots, 150 starters, and I'm not sure there are 100 guys taking regular spots right now. You know, you mentioned the injuries. Some of it is elective teams just looking to go with a bullpen game. I actually don't mind the opener so much if I know who the primary guys are. Uh, Monday night in Oakland, the, uh, the Red Sox are using Nick Pavetta again for the fourth straight outing um, as, a, as the bulk guy. Now, that bulk guy can get wins. It's funny. Pitchers don't like the role, I think, because they think they can't get wins. But actually, the bulk guy is more likely to get a win than a starter who goes four and two-thirds. So Pavetta in that role, I think, is a decent pull. Chris Murphy's terrible. I mean, uh, you look at the number, I believe it's 7 ERA at, at AAA. And this is one of the problems the Red Sox have right now. If you look at their options down at uh, Worcester now, hey, I said it right. Uh, it, it's awful. Uh, they just don't have anybody. I mean, the best pitcher right now, I think, is Matt Dimerti who's 12, 32 and has been in pro ball since, I don't know, I was in seventh grade, I think. Uh, so no, I just, they have terrible options. And I think they're going to be patching it together. We've talked about the Diamondbacks. We've talked about the, the, the Braves. It's just, there aren't enough starters. This is usually a problem for position players, particularly in the deeper leagues where you look at the waiver wire in an AL tout or, or an NL labor, and there's no players out there. Well, now we have no pitchers and it becomes hard to, to play fantasy when you don't know where the playing time is going to go from week to week. Particularly in a 15 league con or 15 team context, I find myself, I just, I don't even know half the time. I'm like, I don't want to take a chance on any of these guys. I mean, the next team we're going to talk about Grayson Rodriguez is back with the Baltimore Orioles. And that is great. If you're an Orioles fan, I don't think he was available anywhere. I didn't have him available in any league that I play in. 
uh, even on 12-teamers? Well, strategically, like we're talking about all these really bad pitching situations. And for teams that had Grayson Rodriguez when he was sent down, I mean, a lot of times, okay, do I want to stream these really bad pitchers or do I just want to wait for Rodriguez to come back in, in a month? Um, and I think for a lot of these situations where you're waiting on a pitcher, whether he's injured, whether he was demoted, the waiting and taking, you know, pulling up some reliever to plug the spot or eating a zero is actually better than the, the available option. So, yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear Rodriguez wasn't available because I think when, particularly when he was sent down, which was early June, late May, after that four-homer game, um, by that time we were already into this cycle of not enough pitchers being available. Totally. And, in fact, the next team we're going to talk about has an element of this too. So Eduardo Rodriguez and Tarek Skubal are both back for the Detroit Tigers, but Reese Olsen still has a job there, and he looks like a dude who is not going to get traded, whereas Rodriguez, Skubal, and Michael Lorenzen are all going to come up in a little bit when we talk about the trade deadline and that context. Reese Olsen is a guy who is going to get starts for this Tigers team after the fact. He's not shiny, right? Like He's not like one of your blue-chip prospects. He is not a Yuri Perez. And he is starting, he is going five innings, and he's getting a decent number of strikeouts while not walking the land. I'm kind of interested in Reese Olsen. I actually just picked him up for the second time in the 12-team mixed league tout wars uh, this weekend. I think you got to give A.J. Hinch a lot of credit for how he's handled Olsen as well. They haven't really forced him deep into games. Um, and they've encouraged him to throw the slider. He's throwing a slider 34% of the time more than he throws anything else. And it's basically been unhittable. Uh, and I really like these situations where a team says, you're good at this, just do it. And I think in Olsen's case, now, the the catch, of course, is that it's the Tigers. They're not going to score a lot of runs. The bridge to Alex Lang, and frankly, the Alex Lang himself hasn't been that great. So the wins might not be there. But ratios and strikeouts have absolutely been there. And I think as long as they keep him in this limited role, he's a fantastic pickup for you. Uh, big caveat on that 12 team tout wars. That's the innings pitch, no wins league. So that's part of why I was interested in him. Cause I wasn't uh, worrying about wins, but yes, you're absolutely right. There are no, like the wins may not be there, but the strikeouts and the ratios could be there. Yeah. I know all the, and I'm, I'm in OBP wins count and I'm about ready to, I'm done with wins just as a category. I don't think we can get rid of them now, but I forget now that uh, you know, tout and labor, like each of the individual leagues actually uses a slightly different rule set. No, you're totally right. And uh, no worries. Uh, but Casey, Bubba, and I were just talking about this. We love that the rules in that 12-team mixed league because you have mm -hmm. innings pitched instead of wins. You have saves plus holds, which means you don't have – like, I'm not sweating about the fact that I have Will Smith on that team because it's like Will Smith is going to get holds or he's right. going to get saves. It doesn't matter. Um, and then you have OBP instead of average, which – Honestly, I just prefer as a default mechanism because that's how I think about players, but I understand why average is the traditional Roto category. So if I were designing a 12-team league tomorrow, it would be the same rules as that Towers League. How Where are you placed right now? I think I was fourth coming into today, but I was second going into the weekend. So I'm kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal uh, little spread there. Home runs, stolen bases, um, ERA, OBP, you can you can add or drop some points real fast in that league. Uh, I've got a couple of trades potentially in the works that might that might help me out. I missed out on the LA sweepstakes. I did get Matt McLean, um, so okay. sitting sitting in the top four, hoping that I can I can stave off some of the dudes who are charging right now. Have you won an industry league before? Do we count the Earth leagues as an industry league? I, I'm not in them, so obviously no, they don't count. <laughs> I, I won Glark I'm, last I'm year. Thinking, I'm, of a, I'm thinking of Tout and Labor, I guess, mostly. No, I, 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 so last year was my second year in Tout, and I took second. 
Uh, I was in first through July and August, and Matt Trust ran me down. And I, uh, it, it happens, and I know exactly where it happened, and I know the mistakes that I made. And uh, this year, I find myself in a fairly similar situation where I'm sitting right about second. Uh, like I said, I was fourth going into today, but I think that that was part of the wonkiness of the All-Star break um, in terms mm -hmm. of where the categories landed. Um, I've been sitting second pretty steadily. Uh, Dylan White is in first right there right now. Truss is, Truss is trying to run me down again. I had him on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about that. He, okay, I just have to tell you, I had $535 left the day that Ellie De La Cruz came up for a bid and Truss bid 531. And I was oh. just like, that is mean. <laughs> so I was the other way. I, I, I doubled up the next highest bid in uh, mixed labor because I, I saw uh, my pod horses in that league. And he's such a prospect guy, such an upside guy that I had felt like he was going to bid up and he didn't. So I'm kind of stuck with funny. We're talking fab and I'm, my hands are tied mixed labor, but uh, I, I, I felt really bad about the bidding until Ellie De La Cruz started stealing a base every 15 minutes. So he's a fun player to have. McLean's not bad either. Not a bad consolation prize, but uh, Ellie's ridiculous. Yeah, I've, I've gotten some really good pickups this year in that league. I mean, McLean was great. I picked up Jordan Westberg. I took a chance on Jordan Westberg. I picked up Jordan Westberg after he took the ball off the hand and we weren't sure he was going to mm. play because I figured I could do it for $20 in fab instead of $200 in fab. And I'd just eat the zero if I had to, but I didn't have to eat the zero because he wound up playing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun league. It's been a lot of up and down and back and forth. And and we'll see what happens. I would love to win Towers. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I want to win one of these industry leagues one time and then I can retire. But I did win Glarf last year. And that was a pretty big win for me. Uh, the Great Lakes Area Fan Roto Fantasy League is part of the That's Earth That's one of the Network. Earth ones, right? Yeah, so Scarf and Nerf and all that jazz. Glarf has won the overall the last two years in a row. And that league has some pretty amazing fantasy baseball players in it. And so winning that last year was huge. I hear a lot about it. I listen to uh, Jeff Erickson's podcast. He and I go back a long ways. I was saying he's always referencing the Earth Leagues and, and what he does. And I guess the other one is the TGFBI, which I got to get into at some point. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I hear about all these acronyms. I just I've only ever played in, in town and labor. I, I really got to try to get involved in this next year. They seem like a lot of fun. And of course, everybody gets to play in. like you get to actually interact and meet with so many more people in the fantasy industry than uh, by playing in those leagues. Well, and Glarf was really cool for a couple of reasons. One, we do an in-person draft. It was my first time doing an in-person industry oh, draft, nice. which was really fun. Um, the second thing was I didn't think I had a shot to win that league going into the final week of the season last year. I was like seven points out and I was in third. And I really just wanted to beat Dave McDonald. I was like, I, I'm going to pass Dave McDonald. That'll be great. And because of the way everything was bunched together in terms of wins and in terms of runs and one other category that I'm blanking on, I made up seven points in the final day. That's a lot, man. Which that shouldn't be a thing that you should be able to do in a Roto League. <laughs> were you were you even tracking or had you given up? Oh, I was tracking. I, I had <laughs> the, I spent my last fab dollars on Yusei Kikuchi to put him into my starters because I was praying he would vulture a win. He vultured a win. Kershaw got a win. Marco Gonzalez threw seven innings of one-run baseball and did not get a win. And so I passed Jenny Butler and Chris Deary, and I got three points off that. And then if you recall last year on the final day of the season, the Mets game was delayed. And so mm -hmm. the only player that was outstanding that could change anything, Jenny had Daniel Vogelbach and could pass me in RBIs, theoretically. And I was just at the edge You're of sweating. my seat watching yeah. this Mets game. <laughs> 
because that would be the worst way to lose on the last one of the last at bats of the season. You know? I mean, I thought Jenny had the league locked up, so I didn't even think I had a shot. And then when I saw the Kikuchi Vulture win, I was like, oh, I think I just won Clark. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it was really fun. Um, let's go through a couple more of these injuries uh, back back to fantasy baseball in 2023, not 2022. 2022 was a much better year for me. This year has been kind of rough for me. Um, the Cubs have no Dansby. They have no Nick Madrigal. They are not buying anything by my vantage point this year, but they do have Patrick Wisdom and Christopher Morrell fighting over a third base spot. Uh, any interest in Patrick Wisdom? He does play most of the games against lefties, and the Cubs have a handful of lefties this week. Yeah, if it's a deep enough league, and he's really a, a streamer based on platoon options and ballparks. Yeah, you know, we talked off the air about Christopher Morrell and where he's eventually going to fit in for this team. I got to give the Cubs credit. I mean, they they turned wisdom who's basically i believe a waiver claim a couple of years ago yep. into a pretty valuable player um by just letting him do what he does well uh i, I again as a fantasy asset it's got to be a pretty deep league single league mono maybe even a mix even at 15 he's probably just a streamer but yeah I, I, a lot of this is going to come down to you know your team's context i look at thinking about the rosters i have and you know one's an al team one's a mixed labor you know would i play him on a corner over josh bell um, I've got Harold Ramirez in that mix. I've got Alex Kirilov in, the, in that mix. Like, where would you put wisdom in, in the context of those guys? I would take Harold Ramirez before Patrick Wisdom. Wisdom, if I knew he was going to get at least four starts on a week, I, and I needed home runs because that is the yeah. that's the only category where wisdom is really helping you. Obviously, like home runs, we get runs and RBIs too, but like home runs is the category. I would play wisdom second. And I would play Kirilov after that. But the thing about Wisdom with the home runs, and this is what makes him so tricky, he goes on home run binges like John Birdie goes on steel binges. Mm -hmm. And you can't predict that in advance. So if you're not playing his playing time, like if, if you're not, you are going to miss, you have the chance to miss six home runs in a week. Well, and and that's down. where we get into the, the whole idea of variance. You're, a guy like Wisdom might go one for 18 with 14 strikeouts but the good week is going to carry you. And yeah, you, there's a lot of luck in this game. You know, you got to be on the guy the week that he, that he plays a lot. I think that as much as we put into predicting and figuring out who the best options are, to some extent, you know, you just, and, and was the guy in my lineup the week at the week he went off. Totally. Uh, speaking of guys who can go off, the Reds are calling up Christian Encarnacion Strand. If you're in an NFBC league, you did not have a chance probably to bid on Encarnacion Strand yet. Most people did not draft him in their NFBC leagues. Uh, what is your interest here? The only thing I worry about, honestly, is playing time. I have a lot of Reds on my teams, Matt McClain, Jake Fraley, TJ Friedel. I'm curious where Encarnacion Strand fits in. I don't know that they would call him up if they weren't going to play him. And I agree. You've got Spencer Steer in that mix. You've got Joey Votto still in that mix. I'm fascinated by... Uh, got to come up with CES. We'll call him CES. Um, if you look at the numbers year over year, this is somebody who really had issues getting the bats of the ball last year. Um, huge strikeout rate in 2022. And he gets to AAA. He's cut his strikeout rate significantly without losing the walk rate, without losing the bat, without losing the power. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by him. I think in the spring, I was more dismissive thinking he was, you know, one of these guys who swing a heavy swing and miss guy who just had a big spring training. And when you look at the the actual changes at Louisville this year, uh, I'm a lot more interested than I was. Now, uh, Will Carroll earlier today in his newsletter speculated that this is a call-up designed to a showcase CES for a trade. And 
as you mentioned, they've got so many options on the corners that this may actually be what they end up doing with CES. I, I think for the short term, though, it's a really good pickup. And then if he does get traded, he probably gets traded into a situation where he walks into playing time for the rest of the season. So there's a lot of upside here. Awesome. I'll certainly be in, in my NFBC leagues next week. Uh, the Guardians are losing Bieber, who was probably their biggest trade asset to an elbow injury. And I we're going to talk about this in the trade portion as well. But yikes, I'm not worried about the Guardians rotation depth. I am a little bit worried about what this does for Bieber owners. Like what do you, you, you got to hold him, but like you're holding him for a month and you don't know where he's going to play next. I'm actually not sure I am holding him because at this point, he's not a big strikeout guy. Um, he's not a particularly, he's not a great ratios guy anymore. Um, I think there's a downside risk where he comes back and is, you know, a three, eight ERA 1.25 whip guy. Who's not getting wins because that offense is terrible. I actually would be fine if you want, again, not a keeper league, obviously, but if it's a redraft league, I think Bieber may be a drop at this point. I don't have any shares of Bieber, so I haven't had to make this decision, but that's really interesting to think about. Cause I, I was just, I was trying to figure out, I'm like, I would think I'd hold him just because of what we were talking about with the paucity of starting pitchers on the waiver yeah. wire. But I, I honestly don't know. You're absolutely right. He's not that high upside of a pitcher anymore. The cost is really high. You probably can't trade him at this point in time for anything. So it may just be a sunk cost. Um, the Astros are about to get a bunch of guys back. It sounds like Jordan Alvarez is working his way back. Jose Altuve is working his way back. Uh is coming back. Pena is coming back. Uh, anything you're, anybody you're interested in here in terms of pickups, I know most of these guys are not available on the waiver wire, but it does seem like there's some playing time considerations for dudes like Mauricio Dubon, dudes like Corey Jolts, guys who have been helping out fantasy managers a lot in the last few weeks. Who do you think is going to lose playing time? Yeah, I'm wondering if this might be the end of the road for Martin Maldonado, because it seems to me they've got to find a way to keep Yanner Diaz in the lineup. Um, this is not the offense that it's been in recent years, losing Michael Brantley. You know, if they thought they'd eventually get him back. He's been missing. Jokes hasn't really matched that level of performance. Uh, Pena is not having the year that he had last year. Uh, I think when Alvarez comes back, especially if he's got to spend more time at DH, uh, that's going to squeeze Maldonado. And you know, Maldonado has been a wonderful defensive player, obviously being the catcher for a couple of champions for them, but basically the worst hitter in baseball. Um, and as a and Maldonado owner in AL Tau, trust me, I'm perfectly happy to take the 170 average and the occasional home run, but I think he's the guy who's going to end up getting squeezed here. I think Yonder Diaz they're going to have to catch him more. That's going to be, I think, the main change that happens here over the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about Maldonado as being the dude who might wind up um, out in that rotation. Good stuff. Uh, let's jump down a little bit. The Mets are getting Jose Quintana back. And look, I know he's not flashy, but I picked him up everywhere that I could in the last couple of weeks on the cheap before he came back. He is a slightly above average dude who is going to throw you a lot of innings and probably going to get some wins. If the Mets do go into sell mode, he is going to be one of their most valuable starters. Uh, any interest in Quintana? Definitely. I mean, I, I think he's, I don't know that he can develop enough trade value over the next couple of weeks. So he's going to be in uh, city field. That's a very good pitcher's park, especially for his type of pitching. That's a better defensive team than it's been in a few years as well, which helps him. Remember, he had that great run in the second half last year after getting traded to a Cardinals team that, broadly speaking, looks a little bit like the 2023 Mets in terms of defense and a good pitcher's park. So that's a great pickup, and I'm sure you got him cheap everywhere, right? I did. I got him for 6 to $12 in almost every league because he wasn't back yet, so I had to stash it. Yeah, that's, that's um, a fantastic plan. Uh, 
Rowdy Telez is out for the Brewers until August. We thought it was going to be like mere days, and now it looks like it's going to be about a month. As far as I can tell, it looks like Jesse Winker is getting some designated hitter starts here. I cannot imagine that that's the plan. I think the Brewers have to make a move here. Any interest in Winker or looking to for the Brewers to make a move? Yeah, I loved the trade when they got Winker. I thought Winker going to Milwaukee was going to be a thing. Yeah, six extra base hits. You and I have none. He's only got six more than us combined. Uh, it's really, really uh, – I don't want any part of him at this point. After last year – and there was a lot of talk about him not getting along with everybody in Seattle. I kind of tend to brush that off. But now he's gone to Milwaukee and he hasn't hit, so what are we really asking for here? So I, that Brewers team is fascinating. It's the worst offense in the league. And it's the worst offense in the National League. And it's in first place now. Granted, it's the NL Central, so it's like being half in first place. Uh, but, I mean, just all the credit to Craig Council and, and the work that he does with that pitching staff. But – yeah, I don't. Even, they have to trade for like two hitters in the next two weeks just to get anybody who's average to bump. You know, I guess Taylor just went on the IL, but somebody to play DH, somebody to play first base with Tellez. They've got to find some average hitters. This should be a team that's easy to upgrade in part because guys like Winker haven't hit. What's wild about the Brewers to me is that they do go and trade for these guys and they hit for a little while and then they stop hitting. I mean, Willie Adonis, when he moved over to Milwaukee, was on fire for about two and a half months and then turned back into not a good hitter. Uh, William Contreras is a dude who should be raking in the ballpark. And I'm like, I have William Contreras in a bunch of places because I am a big Contreras brother, Stan. And I'm just like, where where is it? Where's the offense here? And that Brewers team... Not only cannot hit, they cannot hit lefties to save yeah. their life. And for whatever reason, no one in the NL Central has decided to stack up on lefties and put some pressure on the Brewers. And so the Brewers don't have to face lefties, which is just mind-boggling to me. This is, again, I mean, teams have enough trouble just staying on a regular rotation. You go back to when the 50s rotations were a lot more fluid. But even the 1980s, you'd see more of this. You'd see teams have one or two swingmen where they can bring this, oh, we're facing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Let's throw a couple lefties out there. Oh, we're going to Fenway. Let's stock, stack up on righties. And really since the late 90s, I would say late 80s, early 90s, where teams went to more rigid five-man rotations and then eventually five-day rotations, they just they don't do that anymore. If your bad lefty fly ball hitter has to start against the Red Sox and Fenway, they just live with it. Or if you've got the Brewers coming in, they don't try to exploit that. And it goes into big speeches about roster construction and too many relievers that we don't need to get into here, but it's one of the, the, the strategies that's been taken out of the game that I think has made it less, less interesting. I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, Jesse Winker is actually a perfect segue to where we are going to go next, which is looking where at Where could you how- possibly go that Jesse Winker is a perfect segue? Because we're going to talk about trades and how they impact players and park ah. effects and rules and all the, that jazz. But first, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. On the flip side, we're going to talk about the trade deadline, some of the players that you should be looking out for, and the things that might impact their value down the stretch. And we're back. So the trade deadline is two weeks away. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Guys who were not very good become very good. Guys who are having career years become nothing. Guys get traded into new roles, into new team contexts. Your closer is going to become a setup guy. All sorts of things are possible. I love it. What are some of the things that you look for, Joe, to determine a player's value who might be traded and how you are going to look at the ripple effects of that trade? Yeah, it's the second part of that that I find most interesting. I mentioned earlier, if Jimer Candelario gets traded, 
Jake Alou could come up and, and have a job. If, if the Padres give up on Matt Carpenter, if they don't get another bat, you've got Ben Gamble down at AAA hitting well for them. I'm trying to find the guys who are nowhere near the major leagues right now who, excuse me, in an NFBC context, could be had for a buck or two who are going to be those high upside guys down the stretch. And again, it's it's trying to catch variants, trying to catch lightning in a bottle, um, trying to get away from, oh, well, Scott Barlow is going to be traded, so Taylor Clark or whoever gets the – trying to get a little bit beyond the more obvious uh, solutions. So I'm looking deeper. I'm also looking at managers. Um, take a guy like, – we don't know a lot about Matt Quacharo so far. But generally speaking, it seems like he wants to have one closer. He's mostly used Barlow in that role. Obviously, they've not traded Chapman. If Barlow does get traded – figure out it's not going to be three or four guys splitting eight saves the rest of the way. It seems like he wants to go get one guy. So manager tendencies post deadline are important to me. Buck Showalter in New York, should they trade David Robertson and Adam Adovino? You know, it's going to be Brooks Raley. It's going to be Drew Smith. Um, but whoever it is, it's probably going to be that one guy. The manager tendency part of this is so critical and interesting. And, you know, let's just jump down to number two on this list. And to be clear, these are the top trade candidates from MLB Trade Rumors. I did not make this list. I just kind of grabbed it and pulled some guys that I thought were interesting here. Uh, I have avoided, I apologize, that there's an ambulance going by and there's nothing I can do about that. So it's just some background noise that we're all going to live with. Uh, I pulled some of the, like, middle relievers out of this list because they're probably not fantasy relevant unless you're playing in a deep league or a league that uses holds. However, there are some interesting names here. Candelario is one of them. We talked about him at the top of the show. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed writing the Playing Time Tomorrow column over at Baseball HQ is that Davey Martinez loves a standard lineup. He plugs his guys in and he plugs them in for weeks at a time. Luis Garcia was hitting number two for about a month and a half before he got moved down in that order. And when Jake Alou came up, when Ildemaro Vargas came up, they could not buy playing time in that lineup. So you've got to have somebody move in order for somebody to move in to Davey Martinez's lineup. But the trade deadline is a perfect time for people to move into that Nationals lineup. And Candelario is the second highest trade target off the board, according to MLB trade rumors. Yeah, he's somebody on a one-year deal. Um, he's not going to bring back a ton in value. And again, if you're the Nationals, you want to move him anyway. You've gotten the value that you got him out of him. Chapman was a similar case. You're going to see a lot of these rentals move for not a lot of prospect value, but it's just teams saying, hey, look, two months of this player doesn't help us a whole lot. The prospect lottery ticket we get might eventually help us. So Kidler is a guy I mentioned to Lou before. You talked about Blake Rutherford possibly coming up into that context, but you make the right point here, which is whoever comes up is probably going to be stuck in the lineup and left there to play. You'd rather that than – I'm trying to think about – like the A's right now, Mark Kotze is, yeah, they were shuffling a lot of players in and out. A couple weeks back, Brent Rooker wasn't getting a ton of playing time. Yeah, he had started not hitting, but he has options that he needs to move in and out. So that's not a situation where, not that they have a ton of trade guys, but like, I'm not sure I can count on anybody to make 50 starts. Noda, Rooker, Soderstrom, Langoliers, uh, Jordan Diaz, all of these guys that they have. I, I, it seems to be a frustrating fantasy situation. You want to avoid that. You want to find the team that's going to say, here are my nine guys for the next two months. Yeah, and a couple of other guys to keep an eye on in that Nationals context. Uh, Joe mentioned Jake Alou, who I agree is probably the next guy up. Carter Keboom hanging out in AAA as well. It wasn't that long ago that Carter Keboom was a top-tier prospect that we all thought was going to do some damage. Um, and Ildemaro Vargas has also gotten some reps there. He's actually gotten more playing time than any of those other dudes. We're going to pause for a second. 
because that is right down my street. No, I have I have the same thing. It's a running joke on a lot of the radio hits I do, Sarah. I live between a fire station and a hospital, basically, on one road that connects the two. I get it all the time. Trust me, I I live about four blocks from Thoric Medical Center um, on Halstead Street in Chicago. But normally, like nine times out of ten, I'm good. The tenth time, there is just it's like a stream and so hopefully that was the end of the stream but we'll see how it when goes the, when the cubs finally give you a heart attack though you'll be very close by for, for medical care <laughs> oh yeah i'm totally i'm totally good for medical care when the cubs give me a heart attack uh let's not skip over the top trade candidate according to mlb trade rumors that is lucas giolito from the white Sox. i want to pause for a second as a chicago cubs fan i'm a little heartbroken for my friends who cheer for the dudes on the south side because if this had happened with the core for the 2016 Cubs, and let's be clear, it very well could have. They brought, they put it together one time. They kind of did it again in 2017. They kind of did it the first time in 2015. But, like, honestly, there's a non-zero chance that, like, the Cubs core just doesn't get it done. And then we're talking about the 124-year drought or whatever. I am heartbroken for White Sox fans that their core has come and gone so quickly and they are nowhere close to contention. And also... Lucas Giolito would be a great addition to any starting rotation. Yeah. Is it better to be, I don't know, a Royals fan and have no hope, no hope than to have, or to be the White Sox where, you know, guys like me were saying, oh, they're going to win 91 games. They're going to win the division. And obviously that hasn't happened the last two years. I, I, I think it's a little bit worse to have hope and have it slapped down, but yeah, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. I don't what, what I know about hope. Uh, I, I love Giolito for any, I mean, I, I actually Giolito, when the newsletter, I gave out some some betting props at the start of the year, and I I think gave a Giolito for most strikeouts, most wins. Um, I thought that the, if you looked at him last year, um, he had COVID at one point, and then he was fine. He was he was still a power arm. The, the velo was at what it was what you know two years ago, but uh, I think he steps in. One of the things you look for, I look for at the trade deadline is, are you going to be one of my top three starters in a playoff series? And you look at the starters that are out there, there aren't that many at this deadline. Giolito is probably a number two on most of these teams. You look at the Dodgers, I mean, you drop him in, go Kershaw, Giolito, and then you can mess around with your Gonsolins and your Groves and your Sheehan's in the three, four, or five spots in, the, in a playoff series. But to get that anchor who's going to give you seven good innings, I mean, that's an impact guy. And I think I think you said he was the top guy on the list. I, I think I absolutely see that. I love Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez, but there's some reliability issues there that aren't there with Giolito. Yeah, Giolito is at the top. Uh, Rodriguez is coming up. He's actually number 12, but we'll get to him in just a second. Scott Barlow is number three from the Kansas City Royals. And I think that the biggest impact fantasy-wise here is that I just can't imagine him closing somewhere else. This is the, a perfect example of a dude that could get traded to be a setup man. And I just don't know how many contenders need him to close. Diamondbacks, probably. I think that would be one. Um, he could get traded into one of these bullpens where the, the saves get distributed strangely, the Dodgers being an example. Um, would he, you know, Camilo Duvall with the Giants, he's not going to oust him. That's a guy who could lose a lot of value. And as somebody who has him in mixed labor. Now, the Chapman trade was perfect for me. I had just Fab Chapman. So now I have Chapman and Barlow for the three weeks that they're both closing. But yeah, I'm a little concerned about where Barlow. I'm trying to think, I had a reliever last year. Was in a similar situation. Like he got traded into a situation where he was never going to get saves. I just dropped him. So there's some risk there. But I can think of. Let's see. I mentioned the Diamondbacks. Marlins could, could see him at least getting some of the saves versus AJ Puck. Maybe. Um, a lot of this depends on what other closers gets traded too. Does David Bednar get traded? Do Robertson and, and Adovino go? So this is a very fluid. 
I have to be honest, I think there's more fluidity. Maybe I would have said this in the last five years. I don't know. But it feels like there's more fluidity at the trade deadline, two weeks in advance of the trade deadline, than we've had in recent years. Just a lot of uncertainty, what teams are going to buy, what teams are going to sell, what players are going to be available, and where they're going to end up. And it's fun. I mean, I'm not a, I don't really care for the rumor industrial complex, but I'll be honest with you, it's, it's a lot of fun this year. The rumor industrial complex, as you put it, and I'm definitely going to steal that and use it again, uh, is one of, well, it's one of my least favorite things because the quality of the rumor depends vastly on who started it, (laughs) right? And so it's one of these situations where I find myself at war with mostly Cubs bloggers who do the thing where they're like, sources connected to the front office said player X should be available. And it's like, okay, (laughs) I have connections to the front office like I can just say that like I can just say that and you can quote it and that's like a thing like that's not a real statement that's just like what I think the Cubs might do as opposed to you know a front office person said the thing like you have to parse the rumors so carefully and I find at this time of year because we live in a clickbait economy the rumors fly fast and furious and if you're not paying attention you're going to get fake Ken Rosenthal. And in fairness, people love the sort of sort of content, and I get that. And it used to be it, when it was you know Peter Gammons on Baseball Tonight, or you know, and in his ESPN column, it didn't feel like it was everywhere. And now, starting in like I don't know April fifteenth or so, we've been inundated with Shohei Otani. Where is he going to go? Is he going to go? Is Artie Moreno going to trade him? And it just that that's gotten tired. But now we get to July, and it's you know, five ten guys who are really good at their jobs. And getting the information out there and getting the information that people want, it just starts to feel like baseball-shaped noise. So I kind of take myself out of it and say, look, call me when a transaction happens. Until then, I'm keeping my head down and watching ball games. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when, like, Wet Bet broke the Quintana <laughs> to the Cubs for Eloy Jimenez and Dylan C. deal on Reddit. So uh, all of us laughed at that and thought that was crazy. And then there it was, and it really happened, and that was just totally out of control. Speaking of some pitchers who might be dealt, the St. Louis Cardinals claim they are not going to do a full teardown. And also, Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty look like two dudes who could be similar to what you were talking about with Lucas Giolito, guys who could actually make a difference in a playoff race for a contender. Do you think Jordan Montgomery or Jack Flaherty get traded? From the noises John Mazeliak has been making over the last week, yes. And I think they held on as long as they could. And they just, their bullpen blew so many games for them this year. Uh, you know, this is a team that probably should be closer to 500, which of course would keep them in the race in the AL Central, NL Central. Um, and just every time we turn around, the bullpen's had a blow up. So yeah, I do think that the two rentals will go. I, I wouldn't guarantee it only because I think both those guys are interesting qual- uh, qualifying offer candidates. Like if I could have both those guys back for one and 18, I'd take that. And, and this is you know part of the dynamic that teams will, will think about. If I, give those two guys the qualifying offer that makes them less attractive in the market. They might have to come back and, and sign with me. So um, what are you going to get for two months for eight starts of Jordan Montgomery or Jack Flaherty versus the second, uh, the 70th pick in next year's draft. It's a much closer run thing than it used to be because of the changes in the last CBA that reduced the value of compensation. There's an elaborate Wilson Contreras joke in here somewhere, and I can't quite put my <laughs> finger on it. And you know I love a good Wilson Contreras joke, so I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that. But it is worth what you're what worth noting that because Wilson is a player who didn't move at the trade deadline last year. It sounds like the Cubs had a deal to move him to Houston for Jose Urquidy straight up that the ownership and Dusty Baker 
decided that they were they put the kibash on that like the front office was willing to do it the cubs ultimately extended a a qualifying offer to Contreras and they just picked up Jackson Wiggins uh, with the 68th pick in the compensation round for that. And that's exactly like if you make the determination that whatever is being offered to you by other teams is not worth whatever that 68th pick could be worth, then you have to make that decision. Right. So I think that's a that's a really good thing to keep in mind, particularly with players like Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty. Worth noting, the Cardinals get a lower compensation pick than the Cubs because they are a small market team, which how the Cardinals convinced baseball they're a small market team is beyond me that's for my other podcast <laughs> i was gonna say you're gonna about to go on a rant now aren't you <laughs> nope i'm not gonna rant we're gonna talk about marcus stroman uh who is having an excellent year for the chicago cubs i did make a joke on that podcast earlier today that the only two guys who are playing like they don't want the cubs to sell are cody bellinger and marcus stroman who are the most likely guys to be traded so that's unfortunate um Stroman is interesting to me because he's having an excellent year. I don't know if he still leads the league in quality starts, but if he doesn't, he's in the top three because he has had that type of year. And he's had that type of year because the Cubs were very conscientious about putting together an exceptional defense behind him that would turn all of those ground balls from his sinker into outs. I feel like the only teams that could theoretically trade for Marcus Stroman are teams that have a defense that can do similar work. You can't expect Stroman to give you that same level of run prevention. He's just not that guy. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, you know, the stuff at Savant, even something like Fifth, it'll tell you that, you know, Stroman is what he's been, which is a number three starter. Um, and he's actually been a low volume number three starter in previous years. He's actually stayed healthy, stayed in the rotation. Talk about that equation of, you know, is this guy going to start one of the top three games in the playoff series? I think Stroman fits that bill, but he's also somebody who's, you know, he's going to give you six innings. He's going to allow some balls in play. He's not going to be able to get you those big strikeouts. So if you're trading for him, he really caps the uh, the value. And this is the tough situation for the Cubs because if you're Stroman, you really probably want to hit the market off this year. You're not going to accept the what is it? The it's a mutual option if memory serves. Uh, yeah, it's a twenty one twenty one million dollar player option, I believe. Yeah, it's one in twenty one, or I can go into the market and get three right. and seventy five or something. It's really not a tough decision. So it's a and you know this was a tougher decision three weeks ago. You know, the Cubs are now six under 500. Um, I don't realistically think they're a playoff contender. So now it's, you know, again, you want to cash him in and you know, Bellinger being the same type of guy. Um, it's a shame because it was a good sign. And they it's just weren't signing. good enough as a team to kind of convert that around him. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that if you're, and it makes it harder to trade Stroman because if you're a team with a bad infield defense, you're, I mean, I remember when the Cubs got Matt Garza a thousand years ago. Or they traded, maybe they traded Garza to the Rangers, and he just blew up. And it was the same thing where it just it wasn't a good fit for the for the seven guys behind him. So the Cubs really have to pick their buyer carefully. Yeah, could not agree with that more. Speaking of former Cubs, David Robertson uh, is definitely on the block for the Mets. That probably opens up some save opportunities for Adam Adovino. And I am very grateful. Pass me backed up David Robertson with Adam Adovino pretty much everywhere that I possibly nice. could. The question for me is, David Robertson has been great this year. Would he still close wherever he goes? I think he's on that Barlow level where I can find some bullpens where he would close. I might even find managers who would be more likely. So I mentioned the Marlins earlier. If you're Skip Schumacher, rookie manager, might you not feel better with Robertson in the ninth inning than A.J. Puck, who's not a rookie because he's been injured for five years, but you know he doesn't really have that same level of performance, whereas Robertson has a couple hundred career saves. 
I don't remember how he says he has, but he's closer experience. Um, I think in in uh, back to Arizona, he would say he would close in Arizona. Anaheim, if they were to buy, um, yeah, he's probably the closer there. Carlos Estevez, you know, I think Robertson's closer ahead of him. But you're right. There's just it does feel like the buyers this year do have the ninth inning mostly locked down. Okay, let's just talk about the Angels for a second and all the things with Shohei Otani. Like, I understand why Artie Moreno does not want to be the dude who dealt Shohei Otani. And also, he has to deal Shohei Otani. Like, the Angels are not buyers. Mike Trout is out for every time Mike Trout has gotten injured in the last three years. It's been the long side of the injury, not the short side of the injury. They've got Brandon Drury on the IL. I think Anthony Rendon just hit the IL, too. This is not a very good team without some of their key pieces, it would be malpractice to not trade Shohei Otani and to just get a compensatory pick for him. It's a tough spot. And this conversation changed a lot in the last two weeks, right? The Angels lost, uh, well, it's 14 out of 19 now. They had lost five, no, nine of 10 and five of five are going into the break. Like until very recently, they had a wild card case. Today they're six out because of those that ridiculous loss last night to the Astros. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Because I've looked at the market for rentals, and the market for rentals has just been terrible. Are you going to get – we talk about, oh, it's Shohei Otani, but modern front offices are going to look and say, okay, it's a 3-1 upgrade. And honestly, right now with the blister issue, how many starts are you going to – remember, Otani's not a normal pitcher. He's already going to give you low volume because he's working on a six-day rotation, and uh, uh, he doesn't really work that deep into games. So whereas in Marcus Stroman, you might project for 10 starts, 65 innings. 11 starts, 65 innings. I think Otani, you're projecting eight and maybe 55, 50. So there's a little bit of a value loss there. Obviously, he's a DH only. I'm not trying to trash Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is a baseball fan. That's a great thing. But as a value proposition, it's two to three wins. And these front offices are just not going to break the bank for two to three wins. Um, I think he's a fascinating pickup for these teams. I'm writing about this for tomorrow. That probably aren't going to be able to buy him. So for the sake of argument, you're the Reds. Now, I think the, the Reds, who have a $30 million payroll last year, should offer Shohei Otani four years and $280 million and just see if he'll go there. But, again, like your Cubs rant, that's another that's conversation, conversation for another day. But the Cubs, I'm sorry, the, the Reds, the Orioles, maybe even the Guardians, they have these backlogs of prospects right now. The Orioles are never going to be able to play all those infielders. So they can overpay for those three marginal wins that right now could win them the, the NL East, the AL East. The, the Reds, we just talked about CES possibly being blocked. Spencer Steer, you mentioned you know, having a couple of their outfielders. Package a couple of them, not Ellie De La Cruz, obviously, but you know if you trade McLean and CES and a pitcher for two months of Shohei Otani and it leads to you filling that ballpark down the stretch and maybe winning the, the, the division, they're actually only a couple games out of the wild card too. Like They have two paths to the playoffs. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, again, because I'm writing this tomorrow, it's on my mind, but like these teams that probably aren't going to be able to sign Otani or don't think they can sign Otani or not going to contend, I think are more interesting landing spots for him than the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees or the teams that we're going to hear about. I 100% agree with you. And the team that I keep thinking about here, again, NL centric over here, but like is the Milwaukee Brewers because mm -hmm. the Milwaukee Brewers are reticent to trade prospects. And I understand why, like there's, there've been rumors this year about would they trade Burns or Woodruff a year out to try to like replenish their farm system, sort of what they did with the Josh Hader deal last year. And yet the Brewers have a ton of outfield talent, like a glut of outfield talent, right? Like they've got Joey Weimer up there right now. 
Sal Frelick was in the mix this year. Garrett Mitchell is dealing with his shoulder thing. Like they have a ton of really interesting talent. Jackson Churio is in double A. He's not that far away. Like it's one of these situations where if you're the Milwaukee Brewers and you can package one of your pitching arms, which let's be clear, the Angels could use some pitching and one of those outfield prospects and you get two and a half months of Shohei Otani to try to actually run down the postseason, which you have failed at miserably for however long. You, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, admittedly, I don't run the Milwaukee Brewers, but the Brewers and the Reds are both really interesting landing spots for me for Shohei Otani, and I couldn't agree with you more. The Orioles are too. Yeah, you got to find – you've got to have a team that's willing to overpay a bit. You mentioned the Brewers. I'm not sure they can get it done without putting Churio into that deal. Um, I you know, mentioned Weimer, the, the, the kid, Mizowski, has been up recently. Um, uh, Freeland got hurt. Come to think of Garrett Mitchell got hurt. They did a tough year for their prospect core. Um, yeah, somebody mentioned the Mariners to me. And again, I think that because it's a, a Japanese, it feels like the Mariners are always rumored to be after whatever Japanese player is on offer. But, you know, they still got, after, even after the Castillo trade last year, they got some some prospect depth. They'd probably have to empty the system to get uh, Otani. And one of the things about, you, know, you, you agree with me on the Orioles. These are, the Orioles and the Reds are teams that can trade, that can put together a legitimate package for two months of Otani, overpay a bit for the name value and the hype and all that, and still have a really good farm system. Um, so yeah, we'll see if there's a willingness to do that. I don't think it's the kind of move that Mike Elias would make. Um, I guess I keep thinking about the Reds. I think I'm just excited because the Reds have finally have generated some excitement in Cincinnati and the idea that Otani would be part of that and possibly bring the Reds to the playoffs. It just, it seems like a great story. I am a Cubs fan since I was four years old and I love this Reds team. I, you know, it worked out okay. Uh, I, I spent many years watching Cubs teams fail, and then I lived five blocks from Wrigley Field when they won it all, and so oh, it honestly nice. worked out okay. <laughs> no complaints whatsoever, but I have no hard feelings against the Reds. The Reds and Cubs don't really have a rivalry as far as I'm concerned. They've never really been, like, at each other's throats at the same time, and it's one of these situations where I'm like, I don't know. I like Joey Votto. I like Ellie De La Cruz. I like Matt McLean. This is fun. Like I actually wrote a piece a while back about wondering why the Reds were fun and the Cubs were not when they were like, when they had similar records before the Reds blew past the Cubs. Uh, anyway, check that piece out. It's a great piece over at bleedcubbyblue.com. Let's ha- uh, get through a few more of these possible trade candidates and we'll let Joe get on with his day. Tommy Pham is interesting to me, mainly because when he is good, he is very, very good. When he is bad, he is horrid. The Mets are bad right now. They have no incentive to keep Tommy Pham around. I'm curious where he could wind up because he seems like a guy that sort of is very context dependent on whether or not he's good when he gets traded. There's a certain amount of soft factor when it it comes to Tommy Pham, right? He's kind of a strong personality and maybe that affects the players that you get. You got to integrate them into your clubhouse. Just from a baseball standpoint, though, he's really been one of the better fourth outfielders in the game for a while now. The LBP skills have always been there. He's always been able to hit lefties as well. Can fake center field, maybe less so now that he's, what, 34, 35. Um, you look around, I think he'd fit on the Braves, um, maybe as a part of a platoon with Eddie Rosario. We just mentioned the Brewers. The Brewers need any ambulatory outfielders. I think that's a fit as well. Uh, you know, teams that are really good at integrating their bench, you know, I think there are a lot of spots where he could land. Those are the two probably that jump out at me. You know, we talked about the Guardians trading for outfielders feels like forever. Um, they're very left-handed in the outfield. Um, for some reason, they've decided they don't like Oscar Gonzalez. 
So you put him out there with Quan and Brennan. Maybe he helps. Maybe he bumps Miles Straw off the roster. So, yeah, there are a few play- landing places for him. Miles Straw getting bumped off the roster would be a devastating for some of my 15-team leagues where I'm counting on him for stolen bases, although really he has not been doing as much as I had hoped this season at all. Yeah, unless he can steal first in those leagues, uh, you might yeah, be uh, in trouble. It's been hugely problematic. Uh, let's talk about another player that's, I, I wouldn't even say near and dear to my heart. He's only been on the north side of Chicago for half a second. But Cody Bellinger, the surface looks so good. He had a two-home run game to come off the All-Star break. He had a grand slam the next day. If you look at his OPS or you look at his home run numbers, you probably think Cody Bellinger is back. I look under the hood and I see a dude with the lowest barrel rate of his career. His max exit velocity is bad. His average exit velocity is bad. He seems to be getting some good BABIB luck from pulling the ball and being fast still. And to be clear, Cody Bellinger is the best center fielder and first baseman that the Cubs have. So I'm not keen for them to part with him. But I do think that they would be incorrect to hold on to him if they can get anything of value in return, given what's going on under the hood and what he could net them. I lean super heavily on the quality of contact stuff that we get at Baseball Savant, all the great work that Tom Tango and Mike Petriello and those guys do. And, uh, you know, Bellinger, let's not use the word luck. Let's just say that Bellinger is getting more from his contact than all but three players in baseball. You look at the, slug, the expected slugging based on the batted balls, you look at the expected Woba, um, and it's, you know, 100 points of difference. And I don't want to bet into that. Um, if I have him, like if I could get Cody Bellinger to re-up for two and 30, I might take a chance there because the, especially if I could play him and send another, one of the issues the Cubs have is that Pete Crow Armstrong is coming. You've got Suzuki signed, you've got Hap signed. You don't really have a spot in the outfield for Bellinger and a lot of his value is defensive. So you're kind of trapped. You, you was probably not this good. You probably don't have the space to sign him. Um, I mean, they haven't playing first base because did, by the way, did Matt Mervis die? Did I miss something? Okay. I am so angry about the Matt Mervis stuff because, again, if you go under the hood at Baseball Savant, you, like, spend some time in the stat cast numbers, Matt Mervis was fine. The hard contact is good. The barrel rate is good. He got super unlucky. Like, that's a dude whose expected WOBA is, and I don't know if it's quite 100 points higher than it should have been, but it's, like, in the 70, 80-point range higher than it should have been. I don't know this number off the top of my head, but I would guess that that's about where it is. Matt Mervis had two problems. One, the defense was not great. Cody Bellinger is a better defensive mm-hmm. first baseman. Now, admittedly, Matt Mervis might just need to figure that out at the big league level. And frankly, the Cubs are having a season where they should let him do that. <laughs> Why they're exactly not letting that. Matt Mervis play first, Christopher Morrell play third, and whatever errors happen, they happen, and we figure it out, and they're better in 2024. Matt Mervis is raking in AAA right now, and I every at-bat that Trey Mancini has is a dagger in my soul. <laughs> It was fun. I had some fun with it a couple weeks ago after the, um, it was right before I left Twitter. I compared Mervis's stats to Eric Hosmer and Hosmer had actually <laughs> out hit Mervis to that point. And Cubs fans weren't happy with me that day, but you're right. Mervis had actually outplayed his numbers. So it was, it was, it was a little bit of an unfair shot, but again, you know, Bellinger's got that weird thing. He's like Darren Erstad, where he's very good in center and very good at first. And the number of players who've been good at those two positions is pretty low. So again, you know, do you, you really don't want to sign Bellinger though to play first because you do have Mervis. You have this, Young, uh, the kid that called up recently, and he's an older prospect, but you've got him. You've got Mancini. Jared Young. Here. Yeah, it just there's just a lot of guys in the way. So, yeah, I'd, again, Bellinger, a rental, probably not a high-impact player. you got to pick, pick your, uh, your, your buyer correctly. But, again, unless the Cubs go on some 8 out of 9 run, which isn't impossible, 
um, they're going to have to make some moves. And I think if you're, I think if you're Jed, I think you're, I'm sorry, I forget the other gentleman's name. Carter uh, the Hawkins. Guy the actual, who's the actual GM now. Yeah, Carter Hawkins. Thank you. Um, I think you got to wait as long as possible. The value of these players isn't going to change a whole lot. Like if you trade a guy on June 30th, the team's getting an extra month. Maybe they'll pay you extra for it. At this point, wait it out. If you have the eight game winning streak, maybe that changes your fate. But I would expect both of those players, Stroman and Bellinger, to be gone on uh, on July 30th. The Cubs are currently losing 4-1 to the Washington Nationals at home. So I I, I don't really yeah. think that eight or nine game winning streak is in the offing. But who knows? Maybe maybe they'll pull it together. One last I'm the guy time. Who's waiting for the White Sox to win eight in a row. So. I mean, I will say this about, you know, you make an interesting point about Cody Bellinger and what he would sign for that I would love it if the Cubs could extend him for like five years, 90 million, and he can be their first baseman. And if Matt Mervis does wind up hitting, he can be your designated hitter. And that's great. However, I don't think Cody Bellinger is taking that deal because his agent is Scott Boris. And I think that he sees his ops over like 1100 and is just like, this is, this is my ticket to cash in on a 200 million plus dollar deal. Now, whether or not that happens, neither here nor there, but I don't think that the Cubs can get him to sign the deal that they would want to sign him to. Yeah, I, I'll take the under on 200 million. I might take the under on five and 90. I mean, I, I, I have more respect for Boris than most people do, I think. But you know, and, and the thing about it is Bellinger had his career in the wrong order. He had the MVP he season did. when he couldn't cash in on it. And now he's had you know, three bad seasons and one comeback season. Um, still very young though. That's the one I think that's the one thing I think you're going to see people Boris talking him up in the, in, in the market is that he's still pretty young for, for a quality free agent, but you know, we'll see how the season finishes out too. I mean, the walk year matters, but his walk year isn't done yet. Um, he's missed some time with the injury. As we talked about the underlying numbers aren't very good. And if he hits to those over the final two months, now he's not nearly as attractive a free agent. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I the Cubs definitely. I don't say the Cubs will run the deadline because I don't. They just don't have the high quality players. But they're going to be a big player over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch them for sure. I'm going to get to watch Jed Hoyer do yet another sell off. Which, yay! It's my favorite time of year, the Jed Hoyer annual sale. Uh, <laughs> let's cover one more player here, mainly because I promised we'd talk about him. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is the number twelve uh, trade target over at MLB Trade Rumors and. Look, I love him. I actually think that we as a fantasy community and baseball as a baseball community forgot how good he was because he had those great seasons with the Red Sox. And then there was the COVID year. He got COVID. He had really terrible complications from COVID. He he basically lost a season and a half. And everybody sort of forgot what this dude could do. And now we're seeing it again. In a year where starting pitching is sparse and there is, as a fantasy player, I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez is the jam as far as I'm concerned. But if you're thinking just from the perspective of, I need a number two or number three starter that's not going to cost me as much as Lucas Giolito or Marcus Stroman, Rodriguez is that guy. Right, because it doesn't have that same reputation. The counting stats have always been held down. Last year, he just disappeared for six weeks during the season. And I was like, we ever got a full story on that. Um, I had him in AL tout last year and this year. So the absences have certainly hurt me. The injury that he had was a finger injury this year. That doesn't seem like it's likely to, to hurt him going forward. He had a good start his first, no, he got a bludgeoned his first time back. I think he had a good start his second time back. Um, the underlying numbers are good. The stuff is good. I, Rodriguez or Stroman, I take Rodriguez. I would too. Rodriguez, yeah, uh, Rodriguez or Giolito. I'd take Rodriguez. Ooh, I'd probably take Giolito, but. Like, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a guy who's on that top tier, Otani notwithstanding. 
I take Rodriguez. Well, from a fantasy perspective, I'd take Rodriguez because of the consistency. Like, and, mm-hmm. and consistency here, I admit I'm playing with a little bit because Rodriguez has like this gap of time where he's not there, but his output of work is always good. Giolito has had moments where he's looked really bad. Like, I actually worry about what happens to Giolito in a different context or with different catchers or with different pitch sequencing or whatever in a way that I don't the same way with Rodriguez, even though he had, like, that weird six-week gap. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if Giolito goes to a pitching oriented to, like, the Dodgers or something that's really good at t- maxing guys out, I think he could go absolutely nuts down the stretch. He could have a Doyle Alexander finish or Randy Johnson in 99, that kind of finish. I, I don't know that Rodriguez has that level of upside, but I still think we haven't seen, like, machine Geo unlocked yet, and I am keep waiting for that. There's another guy I have on both on both teams, as a matter of fact. So he's I'm very I'm closely watching where he ends up. Please don't get traded to like the Yankee Stadium or something. Don't do that. The question we always use to close out this show: What piece of advice would you give to a newest fantasy player, somebody who's maybe thinking about making the leap to a main event or making the leap to an industry league? What's your best piece of advice for that player? Well, starting out, I just you know have fun with it. You know, don't feel like you've got to win your league and dominate your friends. Just use it as a vehicle to kind of learn more about the league. Like if you're a, a Tigers fan, use this to learn about, Hey, I'm going to learn about a bunch of guys in the national league that I haven't really followed all that much, especially your first year or so it can be overwhelming. So don't worry so much about strategy. Don't worry so much about tactics, fab, all this stuff, but just learn about the player pool. Um, and then once you have the player pool down, then yeah, you can d- delve in on the minutia and all the different things that you know people do in the off season and get involved with best ball drafts that help you learn the player pool as well. And you know, see if you want to get into TG, uh, not TGFBI, uh, NFBC, uh, and things like that. But I would say definitely start with just have fun with it your first time out, man. Just enjoy enjoy the fact that you're involved in baseball in a way that you weren't before. I love that. Fantasy baseball taught me so much more about baseball than I had ever known. It's one of the reasons that I can scroll through player lists and be like, oh, yeah, I had that guy on my team 10 years ago, and he did X for me and all of that jazz. Speaking of, you have a really cool project that you're working on. I want to give you a chance to plug that and all of your work. Joe, where can people find you now that you're not on Twitter these days? Yeah, uh, get information at the newsletter, about the newsletter at joesheehan.com. Uh, the subscription information, I've been running the newsletter now for, uh, the, this is the 14th season. Um, I, it was with Baseball Perspectives before that, and Sarah gave out my CV earlier on. I appreciate that. But the newsletter is where I do all my writing now. Definitely a stat head perspective, but I love the game. I hope it comes through in the writing. So, again, joshian.com. Sarah mentioned the other project. Uh, just literally Monday, uh, my longtime friend Craig Elston, who's a media personality out in San Diego, he and I go back to playing strat tournaments together in the late 1980s. We started a podcast based on Immaculate Grid. Immaculate Grid being the very popular, Sarah plays it obviously, uh, a very popular game that's kind of taken over over the last couple of months. And uh, we're just basically solving the puzzle and then talking about how we did it. We'll talk about strategy. Mostly we'll use it as a vehicle to talk about the players, whether it be some of the most famous ones, some of the more obscure ones. Um, Again, we're just starting out. We're still figuring out what it is. You can check it out. Um, I'll be honest with you, the, the URL that we're currently using is really long, but if you just go to Apple Podcasts and type in Immaculate Talk, it appears to be on Apple right now. So Immaculate Talk is the name of the podcast. You can find it in various podcast distributors. And uh, over time, you know, we'll have more of a profile. But like I say, I'm talking to you tonight, and we're going to literally record the second one in a couple of hours. So it's, it's definitely very new. But people love this game, and uh, I enjoy it. I, I hesitated to get involved. I tend to get obsessed about things. I knew if I started playing Immaculate Grid, 
I would get assessment. Sure enough, now here's my life. I play Immaculate Grid for eight minutes, and then I wait 23 hours and 52 minutes for the next Immaculate Grid. <laughs> I am a huge Immaculate Grid fan. And part of what I love about it is there are some days that I'm just kind of like, I'm going to knock this out as quickly as I mm -hmm. possibly can with the dudes off the top of my head. There are other days that I leave it up all day long trying to search for like the lowest rarity score. And I have, I, I, I mean, I'm just going to give some of my secrets away here for free, but I, I have some players that I plug in specifically to get that rarity score down, right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, no, Fernando Rodney played for like 9 million teams. So I can just like throw Fernando Rodney into two of those teams and get stuff done. I also find that from a strategy perspective, like if you've got like 300 Ks and gold glove or something like that, you need to, you need to fill those columns in first. Like you cannot risk filling in the players in other places and missing someone that is the guy who is like the 3000 K gold glove dude. Yeah. I find that some days I just want to get it done and I don't want to fight. And there are days where if I start out with a really sub 0.1%, then I'll sit there and kind of grind on, okay, how low can I get? I got it to eight once eight is my low rarity score, but there was some, I, I think um, there's a lot of different ways to play it. I think a lot of us obsessives have gone for the low rarity score, which is fine. I saw uh, Mark Armour, who's the former president of Sabre and uh, a great author, a couple of my favorite all-time baseball books. Um, he was saying today, why not go for the high score? Why not go for, you know, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig? And, you know, that would be one way to do it. Um, baseball prospectuses writer, uh, Patrick Dubuque, he was talking about doing it as fast as he could. I think he got it down to 77 seconds, which I don't think I can type that fast. That. Um, so I think the thing about Immaculate Grid that we're seeing is people are finding their own way to it. And it's not going to be this one way to play. It's going to be a lot of different ways to play. And if it gets us all talking about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, or if it gets us all talking about Fernando Rodney and Mike Morgan, I think it's a great thing. And now, of course, the partnership with Sports Reference um, it's got a lot more bells and whistles with it. Sean's done already did some amazing stuff there. So I, I think it's fun. And like I say, it's only existed for three months. And unlike Wordle, which I think has five years worth of words, if I remember correctly, like they could basically do this forever. There are zillion-y comp combinations of three by three that you can use here. So Immaculate Grid's going to outlive all of us. Well, one of the things about Immaculate Grid that is so fun, I'm pretty good at filling out that grid, you give me any grid that's got the Red Sox and the Cubs on it. Like I'm going <laughs> to knock it out real fast. There are a handful of teams that I, I have some blank spots on, right? I'm like, I think it was um, Blue Jays and Pirates dudes the other day. And I was like, how, I don't, rem I don't know why this is so hard for me. Jose really hard. What? Jose Bautista. <laughs> I got it eventually, but I don't think I used Jose Bautista. I'm trying to remember who I used. But the point is, like, even if you watch this game obsessively, the odds that you know, like, every person who came through the Royals and the Rangers is pretty small. Yeah, I have no life, so I can remember things like that. And that's where that's that's the part of my brain that no longer has where did I leave my wallet? <laughs> so yeah, there, there, there's trade-offs for me. A lot of it is just remembering strat cards from 40 years ago. I'm actually much stronger at remembering. Like I struggle if it's a Marlins Rays day. Not that I don't know. I've been writing about baseball the last 20 years. But I have an easier time with 70s, 80s, early 90s than I do with the 25 years that follow. It just seems like I'm better remembering older players than, than younger ones. So maybe because I'm an older player. I was just telling a friend of mine this. I have like this big blank spot that is basically my teenage years from like the mm -hmm. time I was 10 until the time I was about 18, 19 years old, where I'm like, I know Cubs stuff from that time. I know Red Sox stuff from that time, but I don't know anything else from that time. 
However, I remember all the stuff I read in books when I was a kid. So I'm like <laughs> really good in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And I'm really good once you get to like, I graduated from college on. There's like this blank spot where I wasn't watching baseball every single day. And I don't know every guy who played for every team in that period. The early 90s for me, because I, I was at USC. So the time difference working against me and actually worked evenings. So the time that which you'd be following baseball, I was working. So and I think it's natural. I think people fall away from baseball a little bit when they're doing other things in college. But, you know, then I fell in with some baseball nerds and here I am. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's I think it's not unusual at all for like the teenage years and the late teenage years for a lot of fans to fall away from it. And this is why I don't worry. People say baseball's dying. Baseball's never dying. Baseball's fine. That is a perfect place to end our show. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Definitely check out Immaculate Talk, the podcast. Subscribe to Joe's newsletter if you don't already. Like, I can't imagine you're listening to this podcast and you don't subscribe to Joe's newsletter. But if you don't, what are you even doing? Like, get on that right away. You can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find the show by searching for Fans for Sports Network Fantasy Baseball. You can follow us at, at WhatTheFab on Twitter and all the other Twitter-esque types of things that have popped up these days. We will be back next time plowing through the rest of this MLB trade rumors, trade candidates list, and talking about everything you need to know to win your league this year in fantasy baseball. Until then. 